start with this. I, I've heard that confession is good for the soul, so I'm going to make a confession. I like things that are good for the soul. So um, I have 16 pages of notes, and uh, partly because my eyes aren't what they used to be, so I have, actually have a bigger font than, than I used to. And, uh, but also I have a lot of, that I want to share from my heart this morning. And if I don't have my notes, I'm going to stray and, and then uh, get off track because I am just that way. So I, uh, I'm right, I wrote it down because uh, my memory isn't what it used to be either, which is sad because I'm only 29, so that's kind of <laughs> the applause sign wasn't even up. That's a There's something else too, um, something else I'd like to say that fits perfectly in what what I want to talk about this morning, and that's this, that uh, I am not gifted to be the teaching pastor here at this church. Pastor Luke is. That's, that's his gift. That's his role here, and we're blessed for that. Um, he has a special way of bringing the Word to us, and we really enjoy that. That's why there's so many of, of us here um, on a weekly basis, but what I know is that I have other gifts and passions that fit perfectly not into not only into this body, but into the body of Christ as a whole. And guess what? So do you. And so what I'm going to be talking about this morning is the body of Christ. I used to compare myself to others and, and judge myself pretty harshly when I didn't meet that standard that I created for myself. Um, but God freed me from that when I finally took ownership of the passages that we're going to read today. And that's going to be in uh, Romans chapter 12, and, and we'll also be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So as I mentioned, what I'm going to talk about today is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. So actually, let's read a few verses in Romans 12, and then we'll, then we'll pray. Romans chapter 12, 4 through 8. And I actually didn't uh, give Cece the, the Bible verse. Oh, hey, look at that. Magic. You rock. Thank you. Starting in verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, and that word gifts is charisma, and I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. God, I just want to uh, first just say thank you for who you are, Lord, that you went to the cross for us, so then our, our receiving, our, our, our acknowledging, our accepting of that gospel message, Lord, that you give us eternal life, and not just that, but an opportunity for true joy while we're here, before we go home. And so, with that in mind, Lord, I just uh, ask that you would, you would help us, Lord, to, to understand the process of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be a man of God, what it means to be a woman of God, how we can, are called purposely and specifically with certain gifts and passions, Lord, to be used for the purpose of glorifying you and your kingdom. Lord, we want to say thank you for the, for the team that's gone over to Lebanon and, and all the, the impact that they've had there and, 
and especially, Lord, the things that you're doing in their own hearts. Lord, I, I, just a, there's just a way that you do that, Lord, when we're exposed to, to a different, different world, a different culture, Lord, we're, we're allowed to see ourselves in our own life, our own culture in a different way. Uh, all the things that we don't have and all the things that we do have and all the ways that you, you bless and, and how you teach in the difficult times. Lord, there's so much that they will come back with, Lord, uh, such a, a, a passion, and we, we hope that it's long-lasting. And, uh, God, we thank you for all those that they were able to touch, those lives over there, those Syrian refugees and the others, the Christians, the um, those who are, are ministering and serving and, and with the kids and adults that are there, and, and our team was allowed to come alongside and support them. And, and uh, so we just thank you for all of it. And we thank you for their journey, and we just pray that you protect them on the way back in their journey, Lord, as they uh, will get home uh, sometime tomorrow night and, and uh, see Monday, Tuesday night, I guess. So um, just keep them safe in their travels. And uh, we love you so much. We thank you for your word, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I am more sure of God's truth and power than ever in my life. I am more secure in the knowledge of who He is, in His promises and His purposes for my life now more than ever. I know that Jesus Christ is alive and the only way to heaven is through Him alone. At this point in my life, there is no argument that can be presented to me that will change my mind about the God of the Bible. In fact, I'm honestly amazed that intelligent human beings can look at the human body, for example, or any other living being for that matter, all the internal and external systems, the the hardware, the software, the firmware, and not see the handprints of the Creator. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Maybe you guys feel the same way. Atheism, excuse me, atheism is is as much religion as any other religion, but without the evidence to back it. Evolutionists are often so opposed to the idea of God that they will cling to the smallest thing as evidence for evolution. And yet, probably the best defense for creation is the fact that most arguments against the theory of evolution comes from evolutionists themselves. There are major gaps in every area of science related to evolution. You may not realize it, but there should be literally millions of transitional forms, a.k.a. missing links, found in the fossil records, but they're not there. The theory is that over billions of years, of course, life evolved from A to B to C, etc. But where do we find all the failed forms in between that never make it to the next fully formed, survivable life form? In other words, between the A's and the B's and the C's, where are the, the A sharps and the B flats? You know how to make a B flat? Z- I had, a, I had a friend once, they had a lot of corny jokes, and that was, that was one of his favorite. Another thing about where I'm at at this point in my life is this, I don't fear death any longer, because I've been tested. About nine years ago, doctors said it was a miracle that I was alive, and as I laid in the hospital bed, I praised and worshiped and wept, not because I had survived but because I had been so close to heaven, and I was excited about it. I was saying to myself, I could be in heaven right now. So if he leaves me or takes me, either way, I'm good. 
And that doesn't mean I don't have anxiety about the process of death, but I'm not afraid of what's on the other side. Do I still blow it? Yes. Do I still sin? Yes. Am I still unloving to my wife at times? Yes. But here's why I'm saying this. We're all in a different place in our journey with God. We get saved by believing the gospel message that Jesus came and died and rose again. And, and when he stood at the door and knocked, we opened it up and, and let him in to make home in our hearts. And when he came in, what did he find? When he first came in, we were pumped. We were excited. We were so proud of ourselves, we, we got rid of the meth lab in that back room and some other junk that was in there. The obvious no-brainer stuff, we were proud about that, but... As he walked around and checked out the rooms and opened some of the closets, our pride for some of us probably turned to sorrow at what he found. But did he turn around and stomp out and slam the door behind him? No. He knows what's in our closets, under our rugs, even the stuff that's rotting in the crawl space that we think we're keeping a secret. <laughs> Don't look down there. Here's what we all need to remember. What follows after salvation is a process of sanctification. You begin to change. If Jesus Christ is truly your Lord, you cannot remain unchanged. It's impossible. If the God of all creation abides in your heart, you cannot remain unchanged. Romans 12, 2 says, and we'll, we'll look at this in a little bit too, we're we're not to be conformed to this world any longer, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Conformed means that we take the shape of. We're done fitting into the world's mold, you guys, right? We are done. We need to claim that. We are done fitting into the world's mold. That's what conformed means. We take the shape of. Transformed means changing the shape. God breaks the world's mold we've been poured into and we begin to take the shape of Jesus. As our minds are made new, cleansed from the world's impurities. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you cannot remain unchanged if God is living in you. You're a new creation. Now I can imagine that some people, maybe in this room, have said, yeah, I made that claim. I've, I've, I feel like I've let him into my heart, but I don't feel any different than I used to be. And I think that that's a normal part of the process. And if you were to ask a friend who knew you before, they will tell you, you're different. So have, have confidence in that. That's my cue to get some water. Hey, that's fun. Sanctification is a process. Processes take time as we learn and grow, but you and I can fast forward that sanctification process. You realize that? We can fast forward that sanctification process in two significant ways, by prayer and by being in the Word. How do you build relationships with someone? There's communication. You're talking to God, and He's, he's talking to you through His Word. There's communication there. If you're not praying, if you're not in the Word, what's going to happen is you're going to, you're intentionally or unintentionally slowing down the, that process of sanctification, being in the place where, that God wants you to be. You're being stuck back here. There's that picture you may have heard of before that 
the coals of fire on the barbecue, if you take, some, if you take one of those coals away and set it aside, what's going to happen to that barbecue coal? It's going to start cooling down. But if you, if you keep it in the pile, it remains hot. If you're staying close, if you're staying close to the Lord, if you're staying close to the people of God, you're going to stay hot. It just happens. If you struggle with being in the Word, I just want to encourage you guys that there's, a, there's all kinds of tools available to you to help you. If you just find, man, I just can't read my Bible every day. I can't, can't even hardly read it once a week. There are, there are ways to do that. Obviously, the first way is, is prayer. God, help me to figure this out. Yeah, I came in as a mess, <laughs> and you promised to change me, so help me through this process. And there's, there's even uh, audio Bibles that you can put into your, uh, you know, your, uh, these things in our pockets, whatever they are. Thank you. And have the Bible be read to you on your way to work. That's pretty cool. And you can even pick some of the voices. You can have a, a jolly old English chap. Or you can have, uh, just whatever. <laughs> so there are ways to do that. That's, that's the point there. A third way to fast forward your sanctification process is by living in fellowship with other believers. Some of you may have, liter- honestly may have to say sayonara to those you spent time with before you got saved because they'll bring you down. They can keep you off track because the wrong friends can drag you down. That was my situation. I had to get out of the situation that I was in because there were just too many temptations. And this fellowship, this unity with other believers, this living as a body of Christ, is what I want to touch on today. So in Romans chapter 12, Paul's letter to the Roman church lays out for us some of the most important theology in the New Testament. And he has a habit in his letters of first building a foundation of doctrine and then showing us what to do in response to that knowledge. How we're to turn the the learning into living And I believe if we can take hold of this biblical concept that we truly are the body of Christ, we can be game changers for the kingdom. And in the process, as John talked about last week, even hasten the coming coming of the day of the Lord. So I want to read those verses in Romans again, but before we do that, I want to talk about what leads up to those verses. It says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's so much in those, those two verses alone, but I just want to touch on a few things. To me, these two verses create like a hinge point in the, in the book of Romans, the, chapters 1 through 11 beforehand. The instruction the doctrine, and then that, that hinge, and then all the doing. How do, how do we live now as that Christian that we have acknowledged all the things of who God is and all the, all the blessings and all the mercies in the first 11 chapters? He says, again, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that beseech is like, you know, I implore you, I'm crying out to you, listen to what I'm saying Paul is telling us. Let's look at what the therefore is therefore then. 
The mercies of God are discussed in the first 11 chapters, and here's uh, some of the highlights. In the first few chapters, chapters 1 through 3, he describes, and this is important, humanity's ruined state and guilt before God. This can't be overstated. Without Christ, there is enmity between us and God, meaning we are at war with God. My will against His. My vast intellect in a pea-sized brain, mind you, against the creator of the universe. Who do you think wins that war? (laughs) Of course, God. One of my favorite movie lines is by George C. Scott, not from the movie Patton, but actually from a Disney cartoon, (laughs) Disney movie. He's the bad guy with the lizard sidekick, and he says to his lizard sidekick, my mental facilities are twice what yours are, you pea brain. Which means that his brain is the size of two peas. I guess you have to. I guess you have to be in my brain to really. I mean, if, as soon as he says it, my brain is twice the size of yours. You pea brain. His brain is the size of two peas. How is it that humankind can think that our ways, our theories, our wisdom? can somehow be more brilliant than the creative power of the creator himself. As I was thinking about that, I, th- I thought about this scenario. Here's, here's God. I am God. I uh, spoke everything into existence, including time. And here's us. Mm, I, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know about that. I, I, I don't think I can buy that. Here's, here's my idea. All the mass that ever existed came together and, and, and all at once it imploded and created this massive explosion and all these chunks of rock go flying out into the universe. And on one of these chunks, after a billion years, this sludge kind of, this pool of sludge forms and, 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 these, and after another billion years, you know, by the way, it's, it's, it's in the perfect place in relation to this other thing that happened in the explosion, which was a bright ball of, of, uh, that we call sun. And, and, uh, and, and then this stuff just forms in this sludge. And it's, first it's a, it's a single cell thing. And then, and then all of a sudden, poof, it's, it's, it's a multi cell. And then, poof, you know, a million years later, the, there's some fins that, that pop out. And, and uh, so, how do they procreate? That, that's one question I have for you. Okay, well, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. But give us another million years, and we'll have all kinds of ideas. We think that we're smarter than God, and, and I understand. I understand the process. But in the end, it's God who wins. God's smarter. doesn't matter what kind of creative ideas we can come up with. But he wins. But here's the reason why that, that humankind thinks that they're smarter than God. And the Bible says that one big reason is this, that, that the God of this age, Satan has blinded their minds and their hearts, and therefore they simply refuse to see. So there is an enemy. Satan is real. Then he goes on in these first 11 chapters. But Paul tells us, here's the good news. First of all, our ruined state of guilt. He points that out. Then he says, we are made blameless, justified through the blood of Christ, and because of that, we can have peace with God, and check this out, we can glory 
and tribulations. Hmm. Chew on that one sometime. Glory and tribulations. That's not one of the things I want to glory in, honestly, is tribulations. But we get to do that. He also says that we live under grace, not law. We're not bound up to do the do's and don't the don'ts, but rather we get to do those things that please our Lord. Shedding the lifestyle of sin and living in victory. Amen? He also, it also talks about how the, the, the Spirit dwells in us, delivering us from the power of the flesh and reveals to us that we're children of God. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. That by God's grace we are grafted into the body and reconciled to God. And that we have a hope of future glory which we should all be eagerly waiting for. That's in the first 11 chapters. And he, he proclaims them as mercies. Are these not the mercies of God? Then he says in Romans 12, one again, uh, the second part of Romans chapter, excuse me, Romans 12, verse 1, the second part. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Sacrifice is a form of worship. Sacrifice is giving up something important to me for something for someone else's benefit. One of, the, one of my favorite things that King David said was this, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. He doesn't get the dregs. He doesn't get the leftovers. He gets the first. God deserves more. What these two verses mean to me is this. My reasonable, logical response to the mercies of God is to worship God by actively laying down my life for Him. My reasonable, logical response to the mercies of God, many of what we just read, not all of them, there's many more, is to worship God by actively laying down my life for Him. <clears throat> I surrender myself spiritually and respond to him outwardly. That's what service is. And participating in the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.15, one of my favorite verses says, And he died for all, that those who live, that's us, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Many of you know the story of Isaiah's vision in chapter 6. He had this vision where he saw the Lord sitting in his temple and he, on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the whole temple, and it was a picture of his royalty, and there were these angelic creatures, the seraphim, six-winged creatures, and, and one cried out to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, and, and all the earth is filled with his glory, and the whole place shook, it trembled, and, and there was smoke that filled the place. And Isaiah, when he saw it, he said, Oh, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And it's because I've seen the king, he says. And then God sends one of the seraphim, the angelic creatures, and takes the tongs and, and takes a coal off the fire of the altar of God and places it on Isaiah's lips. And he said, 
Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And then Isaiah hears this, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's response is, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Here's what I love about this passage. There's a progression. Isaiah sees God in his glory. Isaiah recognizes his state. How can I even stand in God's presence? And then God purges and makes clean, forgives, he makes new. And Isaiah hears God's call and responds. God in his glory, power and holiness, me and my brokenness and humility. God in his forgiveness, me and my response to be used. The weight of Isaiah's vision may take some time to sink in. But once you've walked in the grace of the Lord for a while, you understand the truth of it. I can't tell you how many times I've wept over these passages. In fact, if I'm not careful, I might even now. <laughs> so, we respond to God's mercies, surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice, and become the body of Christ. Let's read verses uh, 4 through 8 again in Romans chapter 12. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Important. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, and that word is charisma, literally gifts of grace, differing according to the grace that is given to us, so then let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, so now Paul reveals that each one of us as Christians are now members of a massive team of superheroes. It's not just God and the new me, the new creation, but it's God and us. A functioning, living organism specifically designed to glorify God and build His kingdom. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 12 now, or if you're a smartphone app, flip there, or they'll probably just come up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read more detail regarding the body of Christ. It says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Here's what I want to point out. The word gifts is not actually in the original language. And the reason is the, the, the translators added it to help us to understand that verse. But what it actually has done, unfortunately, is uh, it kind of, kind of forces how the rest of this section is interpreted by many people. So it actually literally says, now concerning things spiritual, pneumaticos, pneuma actually has to do with breath, which is, which is spirit. Things spiritual. <clears throat> so now I, I want to insert a little start, sidebar excuse me, regarding spiritual gifts. So I mentioned the word gifts is not in there. It was added. For years, I, I wrestled with the two lists, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And the one in 12 and the one here in 1 Corinthians, uh, which we'll, 
read in a minute, there's distinctions there. It, it, it didn't make sense to me how they fit together because Romans is so general. It's prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving mercy. It's pretty wide general categories. And then in 1 Corinthians, it's very specific. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, etc. And, and I couldn't find a commentary over the years that satisfied my understanding. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You read something in the passage, you don't get it. You go searching for an answer, you don't find it. You put it on the back burner. It comes up again later. You're still looking, still not satisfied. Well, that was where I was at with this. <clears throat> then several years ago, I was reading through uh, John Corson's commentary, and it finally brought light, And here's, here's, which is this. <clears throat> the Romans list is divine, defined as charisma, or the gifts, the gifts of grace, literally, while here it's more general. The, more, the word for spiritual, as I mentioned, is pneumaticos. Or things spiritual and describes those. It's, so it's not just only the gifts, but also the ministries, activities, and even manifestations. Read with me in verse 4. There are, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, work, but it's the same God who works all in all. Now, by the way, if Paul intended to mean that the Lord was referring to Jesus and that God was referring to the Father, then, then that's a picture of the Trinity, the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. Just a side note. Diversities, differences, and diversities, all the same word, means literally varieties or various kinds of so. There are various kinds of gifts. There are various kinds of ministries. There are various kinds of activities, and I like that word too because it's energema, which we get get the word energy. There are different kinds of activities or, or workings or effects. But it's the same God who works. Again, that's similar word, energeo, energy. The Father is working in us. He's making things happen. We are participating in that. Whether it's using our gifts, whether it's being involved in ministries, whether it's being used in, in as the Lord works in us. Now, you can probably see that some things are going to be hard to place. What's the difference between a ministry and a working or a gift? So here's my suggestion. Well, actually, let's keep reading first. Verse 7, but th because I want to touch on this. <clears throat> the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, for everyone's benefit. So these things that are happening, and what I believe is these manifestations then are the word of wisdom, uh, an extra measure of faith, workings of miracles, prophecy, uh, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, etc. These are for the benefit of all of us, not for any one particular person. Again, drawing that connection between the, as us and the body, we have functions, we have purpose. However you interpret this, the whole thing about the gifts, I don't want to get lost in the weeds, but understand the bigger picture, which Paul is going to describe here, starting in verse 12. As Paul writes of the physical body that we're going to read, he's also making a correlation to the body of Christ, which is the church. And as we read this, keep both things in mind as you're reading them, the physical body and the body of Christ, which is the church. <clears throat> verse 12, For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, 
are one body, and so also is Christ, that is the, the body of Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, the body of Christ, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. But in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Each of us is a member separately, but also one unified body of believers. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Well, of course not. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm I'm not of the body, and is therefore not of the body? Of course not. He's, He's still part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, like Mike Wazowski of Monsters, Inc., you know, one... That would really be freaky. Where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, then where would be the smelling? Which would obviously be in the armpits, of course. (laughs) So we're seeing a clear picture of both the individualness and the oneness of the body of Christ. Separate members, but unity among the members. But there can be and is a tendency at times for the body of Christ to chew on itself instead of unifying. You know, the teeth gnawing on the hand. Um, The last time I gave a message up here a number of months ago, someone put a note in the offering box, not knowing that I would actually, since I count the offering, that I would actually read the note. No signature. I saw the note and it said, that was the worst sermon I have ever heard. (laughs) Okay, I confess, it stung a little. <clears throat> but, uh, but then I quickly became encouraged because I'm sure that they were just using the gift of, of encouragement. <clears throat> but at the same time, I, 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 I suspected that they hadn't heard of Jonah's message to Nineveh, which was, that was pretty sucky, you know. So if you're here, by the way, this might actually be the second worst sermon you'll ever hear. There's a story of a master craftsman who had a workshop. One day while he was gone, all the tools started to argue with each other. The screwdriver said to the hammer, you're always driving home your point, always nailing people. It really bugs me. The hammer replied to the screwdriver, well, all you do is spin in circles. How do you get anything done? And to the wood plane, he said, and your work is so surfacy and shallow. So the wood plane responded, what about ruler? He thinks he's always accurate, measuring everyone else by his standard. Well, at least I'm not like sandpaper, replied ruler. He's always rubbing people the wrong way. Just then the master craftsman walked in. And as he used each tool at the perfect time, he created an object of beautiful, of of great beauty. So we're human and fallible and constantly in need of God's loving correction, but even despite that, when we're willing to be used in the hands of the Master, the church can be an object of, of great beauty. And we can look through history and, and, and see all through history how that is in fact true. Verse 18, now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. So he's created the physical body, putting all the parts in the right place, all the, the seen parts and all the unseen parts and all the systems working seamlessly with each other. Verse 19, if they were all one member, meaning if we were all an eye or all a foot, then where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And yet the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather these members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. 
which in my case would be my whole body, the weaker. I set up a pull-up bar <laughs> in our house, in the doorway of the house, and, and uh, I've been able to uh, double how much I can do each day. And so eventually I'll be, I'll be up to one pull-up, <laughs> and then double that to two, and so on. So I'm looking forward to that. Those members of the body, verse 23, which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor or value, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. These are the areas of the body that are unpresentable. That's why we wear pants. (laughs) We are giving honor to certain parts of our body uh, because we actually care for them more. When I was younger and I would go to the beach, I could take my shirt off and, and catch some rays, and I don't do that anymore, uh, because when I look at my gut, I, I, I decide that I'm going to give it more honor and keep it, keep it covered, and I remember when my wife Nancy said, uh, you know, you should start, like, leaving your button-up shirts untucked, because that's kind of cool, you know, that's kind of, you know, it's, just what, it's, it's what the young people are doing these days, you know, untucked. And it reminded me of this this uh, ancient Chinese proverb that I heard once: "Better to untuck shirt and pretend you're ripped, than tuck it in and remove all doubt." See, <laughs> so I just leave it untucked, and I think I'm a lot better looking than I really am. Yeah, I got my six pack here. It's, a, it's just in an insulated cup, is all. It's a <clears throat> Verse twenty-four says, "But our presentable or well-formed parts." have no need to have, have the extra care. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ. F.B. Meyer explains this section a whole lot better than I can. He says, The hand and the foot obviously stand in need of each other, but the same interdependence marks the feebler and humbler parts of our frame as well. Indeed, if we, it, it would appear as if we bestow more abundant honor on them by covering them with clothes or ornaments. In this way, the least important parts of our nature are leveled up and compensated. The apostles' aim throughout this passage is to enforce the interdependence of believers. One gives to others that which they are deficient, and then he derives help from each of them in turn. The Christian church is not an inert mass of mere learners and subjects who are to be authoritatively taught and ruled by a small fraction of its members. It is a great cooperative society in which each of is for all and all for each like the three musketeers. And the object is to bring Christ into every, depend, excuse me, every department of our being and our fellowship as the lifeblood nourishes the body. The body of Christ, gifted to serve one another. So, how do we know what gifts we have? If we use the Romans list, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy... I believe God has gifted all of us in one way or another, and they all fit into one of those gifts somehow. But I also don't think that we need to stress over it. If you're not sure which gift you have, then try this. Ask God. 
pray about how he wants to use you. Be warned, though, that there may be some dying to self involved. You can also ask yourself a couple of questions. What is it that I do well? And then do that for the kingdom of God. What is it that I'm passionate about? Then do that for the kingdom of God. You may already be dialed in and, and doing what you're supposed to be doing already. But if you're one of those weaker, unpresentable members uh, that says, you know, I don't want to be up front, I, I, I don't want to be out there, I, I don't even like praying in front of other people, then think again, because God has something for you. If you love to sow, for example, what if you sowed things to bless needy families? What if you got a group of sowers together and sowed things for needy families and then had a life group to boot? What if you thought, well, all I can do is build birdhouses, then maybe teach kids how to do it, and then you might find yourself discipling him or her as well. John Smith meets with charter school kids every week and shows them how to do uh, workshop life skills. There's a group called HELP, and it's H-E-L-P. It's an acronym for something which I can't remember right now. And it's here in our community. It supports school kids that are identified as homeless, where you can teach kids basic life skills in an after-school program. There's obviously a variety of jail ministry opportunities, including acting out skits. I just learned this the other day. So I don't have to go in there and teach something. I can go in there and do something fun that maybe they'll enjoy. You could help younger people in balancing a checkbook or doing a budget or sharing your marriage experience with a young, engaged couple. If you're struggling to keep your family connected, then try serving with your kids. And to you older folks, I do want to say this. We have a, honestly, we have a lot of gray hairs in here, and I love that. It's really interesting because Luke is such a kind of a, a younger, dynamic speaker. You think, man, all these college kids would be in here, but of course they're all leaving town. So we've got a lot, of, a lot of gray hairs. And I think that there's a tendency for older folks to say, well, I just, I just don't have anything to offer anymore. And I just want to say, don't go down without a fight. We need you. We need you to reach out somehow to younger men and women. And you know, in, in many cultures, that, that's the way that the culture is. The old folks teaching the younger who are then teaching the younger. That's their way of life. We've lost that in our culture. Everyone's so disconnected, and I, I agree, it might be a challenge to get some young person to actually, you know, put down his smartphone <laughs> and pay attention, but at the other, uh, on the same, at the same time, if we're praying about those open doors, praying, Lord, what is it that I do? What is it that I am gifted in? What is it I just, I love to do that I want to share with something else, and then do it for the kingdom of God. Do it with the love of Christ. See, that's how I picture the practical side of what it is to be the body of Christ. We each have strengths. We each have weaknesses. We're, we're supporting each other's weaknesses and building up each other's strengths. And the reason I, I mention that about Pastor Luke, he's, he's the, the lead teacher here. He's gifted in that area. I'm not. John Smith certainly is not. No, I'm kidding. I love John Smith. We're good friends. We count the, the offering together. 
$20 for you, $20 for me. <laughs> and we, we have, it's, we've been really uh, been able to connect, and I've really appreciated his friendship. Um, so, here's, here's another idea. I want to start a monthly men's gathering on Saturday mornings, uh, but I need help. I need a team of guys to help set up, cook a simple breakfast, um, etc. You may have a gift that I don't have, and we need to work together. And I'd like to start that this summer. I think that would be really good for, our, for the men in our church. But my point is this. We can have a lot of great ideas, but if, there's no, if the support isn't there, if, we're not, if there's not people that are going, you know, I've been, I've been wanting to help out with something like that, then, then things just kind of die, die on the floor. Um, you know, it never goes any further. And I will say this, too, that there are, I heard this expression several years ago, there's good things, good ideas, and there's God ideas. There's a lot of good ideas. But how many of them are actually really God ideas? How many of the, the things that we're supposed to be implementing in our, into our church or into our community? <clears throat> and if the support isn't there, if the body of Christ isn't coming together in that way, then it's probably not going to happen, which would theoretically identify that, yeah, it was a great idea. That was a good idea, but not a God idea. <clears throat> uh, so there are ways to serve inside the church right now in areas that need help. If you go to uh, South Beach, sbchurch.life, you can go to the um, serving inside the church card. You can go to how to serve outside the church. If you go to how to serve inside the church, we got a whole list of things there that you can help in that you guys probably don't even think about. What is it? I, we've we've been involved with a number of different churches, and we've been newbies at, at churches. And we go in and we think everybody they all, they got it all figured out. <laughs> no. In fact, maybe the reason that that thing isn't happening is because God was waiting for you to get there. <clears throat> but. I'm trying to find out. Uh, okay, so the majority of... No, that's not it either. Oh, here, here's, here's the point. The majority of ways that we may be functioning as the body of Christ are more likely going to be outside the four walls. And I think that's significant because people come in and they, they want to serve inside the church. They think, well, this is the church. I want to serve here. But, but there's really limited things that we can do inside the four walls. There's just not enough things going on, especially in a smaller church where we're developing a foundation and things like that. Um, most of the things, most of the ways that you as a member of the body of Christ are going to be serving is going to be outside the church. And I listed a whole bunch of those things a few minutes ago. So in the next few months, we actually may learn of an opportunity for our church and other churches in the area to reach a demographic of children ages birth to 18 right here in our community, um, who are in difficult situations, who need a, a wide range of uh, support from getting rides to schools to being provided a, a comfortable home for a month or more. Um, this is kind of a big deal. And this is what's happening. And what's, what's amazing is that it's sanctioned by the state. They have asked churches to be involved, which is kind of crazy. And if this actually develops, it'll open a door of, of a whole plethora of, uh, of opportunities to serve outside the body of Christ. I say it that way because it's from, that's another line from a movie. 
a plethora, plethora. <laughs> Good job, three amigos. <laughs> I wouldn't remember the title, but anyway, there's a whole lot of opportunities that, that just need to be mined, need to be de developed. But you don't just do it just to do it. You find out what it is that God wants you to do, how he wants you to participate. So if you're thinking, how can I find that place to serve with my gifts or passion? Again, pray. And also, pray. Ask God to direct you. Be dependent on God first and foremost. Trust in him to lead you and to speak to you. And that's a whole joyful learning process in itself is to, to be able to, to develop that relationship with the Lord in, in, the, in the area of prayer. And it's so fun when you're, when you're just dedicated to pray, how, how he answers prayer. <clears throat> and you can try starting a conversation with others and, and see what develops. Uh, I'll be setting up a, some kind of a card on SB Church to Life to get some guidance and, and uh, we'll help how we can also. Here's my final thought. And uh, we can go ahead and have the worship team come up. That wasn't a joke. I, did you see the applause sign? <laughs> oh, now it's up. Okay. <clears throat> so my final thought, we'll have the worship team come up. They're sipping coffee in the back room. What could the heart of our church be like if we chose to seek out and plug in with different gifts, all working together? The average, this, this is amazing, the average human heart will beat over 3 billion times in an 80-year lifespan. 3 billion times. Steadfast, sure, and faithful. We put so much trust in the faithfulness of our physical heart that we, that we hardly think about it. It just happens day after day, year after year. That's amazing in so many ways. So what do you think the heart of our church could be like if, if we were as steadfast and faithful as a human heart? Could we? Do you think that the heart of our church could be that steadfast and faithful? someday probably not me either I don't think I don't, I don't think we could get there because we are human beings but if we each find our passion and turn it into a passion to honor our king for the kingdom that would be a game changer I promise it would be a game changer just imagine us even just if, if it was just this group right here even if it was half of this group or a quarter you remember what what happened with the disciples? They turned the world upside down. We read that in the Word. They turned the world upside down, a, a handful of people. What if it was just a, a third, a fourth, a tenth of those of us who say, God, I know I'm a part of the body of Christ. Just help me figure it out. Who am I supposed to be? How am I to, to interlock with the other believers in this church, in this community. What does that look like for me? And then, Lord, give me the courage to, to step into it. Lord, all I can do is make birdhouses. So open up the doors for me to, to teach others how to do it and, and have, a, have a conversation with those people, those oftentimes, those, those kids who have no 
father figure in their life, have never seen what it looks like to have a healthy marriage, how their needs can be filled by people who say that they love Jesus. I don't know. To me, it's, it's amazing to think that there's that so much potential. Lord, there's, the, there's those of us we know, God, that you give the ability to, to, to stand boldly and proclaim the gospel without fear. Or maybe with fear, but we overcome that fear. And John encouraged us in that last week. But I know, Lord, that there's so many people in this room, so many people as part of this church that, yeah, that's just not quite their place. They're, they're more in the, the unseen category, the, those that just don't have those outside gifts that, that can be out there without being requiring some kind of special honor or treatment. Lord, people that in here that might say, I, I, I just, I can't do that. I, that's not my gift. Okay. But God, please show them. Please show all of us, Lord, what it is so that we can be game changers, not even just in this community, but I think about those that, that have gone to Lebanon and how they'll come back and they'll be on fire and, and maybe they don't even know what their gift is. Maybe they don't even know what, the, maybe they just learned about what their passion is and maybe now there's nothing that can hold them back from going to the mission field year after year or maybe devoting a whole year to it or a lifetime to it. But also remind us, Lord, that we have a mission field here and just being the body of Christ can allow us to minister to that mission field, to minister to one another or to help us build each other up and nurture those, those things that we wrestle with and help convict us of sin and exhort us, Lord, to do better, to teach. And teaching isn't just about standing up here or doing a Bible study. It's a, a parent at home teaching their children, teaching their children the ways of the Lord, teaching them how to love you, nurturing their spiritual life. God, there's so much. There's so much. And we and we think about all the crazy things going on in the world and it's there's it's insanity, Lord. But you bring peace, you bring hope. You bring clarity. Lord, when we can get to that point where we say nothing, there is no no argument that can be thrown at me that will change my mind about who you are. Because you, you are God. I believe it with all my heart, Lord. May we all be there. Lord, if there's anyone there, we come and we'll be taking communion, a cup, cup of grape juice and, and a cracker, simple in their elements, but powerful in their meaning. Lord, there's people here that have not made that commitment to follow you, that have not surrendered their life, that, that don't maybe even fully understand the simplicity of the gospel message that you came and you died and you rose again and, 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 and you're knocking on their door right now and they need to answer. They need to open up and say, Lord, come in, abide in, in my home. Lord, help me clear out all the junk, all the garbage, all the, the stuff. Purify my life. Make me holy. Make me the woman I need to be. Make me the man I need to be. Make me the father, the, the husband I need to be. And if you're in that situation, I just want to ask you to, to pray. To come up, there's guys on both sides that, that want to pray for you in that regard. If, if you haven't made that commitment, ask them to help, help you lead, lead you in that. 
Lord, and, and for the rest of us, we've made a commitment. We've, we've made that, that we understand what we said. But Lord, begin working, continue working on that sanctification, the changes that need to be happening in my life. I, Lord, for me, I, I don't want to hold that process back. I want to bring it forward. I want to bring it in. So help us, Lord, to be prayers and, and be in your word. God, we thank you that, that you have a plan and a purpose for us. Lord, we may only be here for another few years. We might only be here for another day. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. Help us, Lord, to be sold out, sold out for you. So as we take communion, Lord, let the attitudes of our hearts give you honor. If you're here and you're not a Christian, then, then just don't take it. It's, it's, it's okay. But come up and, and, and let's do this. Let's take this cracker that represents the body of Jesus and take this cup that represents the blood of Jesus and the price that he paid for us. So Lord, let it all be for you to honor you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can come on up.